You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. I am Matt. If I haven't met you, I'm one of our pastors and elders here at Grace. And I just want to also, as Jay, I want to welcome you and I'm glad that you guys are out there wherever you're at, gathering together. And um, man, thanks for joining us today. We pray that today would be an encouragement to you. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And I don't know if you've been following along, but the Gospel of Matthew is really all about the arrival of the King. And so he comes in this very unique way, he comes in the most humble of circumstances. And so over the next few weeks, we're actually going to, we're going to pause, we're going to go back to the beginning of Matthew, and we're going to enter into what we call our Advent series leading up to Christmas. So we hope you can join us for that. Uh, it's going to be a good time, and it's an it's a incredible reminder of who God is as we ponder and we think about together how he came and what he came to do. Let, let me just pray. Father, as Jay said, man, open our eyes today that we can see amazing things in your word. Give us a new perspective on who you are. Remove some of those barriers that are in the way that cause us to think things about you that just just aren't true. So give us that perspective. Uh, We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this king that Matthew's talking about, that is Jesus, spoiler alert, um, this king, he arrives into this, this world and, and, it's, and it's broken, right? It's maligned by our human sin and, and, and all of our selfishness and rebellion and violence and justice. And, and, and the, the effects are seen all over the place. I mean, you see people that are occupied by these brutal dictators and people groups that are pushed down by their oppressive systems as they exploit their own authority. You see it in, the, in sickness, people having sickness and illness and disease who, who are often ostracized, they're, they're neglected, they're ashamed, they're afraid. The book of Romans actually even tells us that, that uh, the effects of sin even affects the creation as it eagerly awaits to be liberated from the bondage of decay. And so sin is pervasive and it's, and it's all over the place. And Matthew has been focusing on the miracles of Jesus and so Jesus comes, he starts doing all these miracles, and th- that's what's happening is he's literally reversing the effects of sin in our world, demonstrating what God's kingdom is all about. And these miracles not only demonstrate the deity of Jesus Christ, that is, he is God with us, he is Emmanuel. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. But more than that, or beyond that, not more than that, but beyond that, it, it identifies Jesus as Israel's Messiah, the, the one that was to come. And so Matthew gives us very specific miracles designed to attach these messianic kingdom prophecies from the Old Testament to Jesus, validating for the people of God, Israel, that, that he was the one to come. He is, in fact, their Messiah. There's a very Old Testament character to the types of miracles that Matthew selects as he pens his gospel under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so these miracles, as we've seen, they, they're, they're kind of ascending in nature. And today we're going to see that Jesus has the power over the, the root of all of hum, humanity's misery. 
all of the the problems we have, he has the power to deal with sin itself. It's going to be, it's an amazing story. He deals with our human guilt, the human pollution that that separates us from God. And so, so Jesus is not only this great physician that has come to heal the sick, to, he calms storms, he casts out the demons. Not only is he that, that guy, but he brings the most important thing that the human soul needs, and that is the forgiveness of our sins. He offers that to us. And so in Matthew, it seems like he's, he's kind of majoring on authority, right? R- remember what he said after, after preaching the Sermon on the Mount, that the people said, no one's ever taught like this as one who has authority. And then at the end of Matthew's gospel, that the, the great commission we call it, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so we, we see his teaching or doctrinal authority. We see his sovereign or ruling authority. Well, today we're going to look at a different type of authority. I'm going to call it his redemptive authority because today we're going to see that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And this is the 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 most distinctive thing that Christianity has to proclaim, the reality that our sins can be forgiven. It's it's the very heart and lifeblood of the gospel, of the the Christian message. And and the Christian message has all kinds of values and and, and applications, but but this message that, that God can forgive sinful man, that message is at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's exactly at the heart of the message of this miracle we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 9. So let's look at that. Let's read this together. We'll pick up from last week. So uh, verse 1, Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow's blaspheming. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. The man got up, he went home, And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. It's the word of God for us today. And so this story is all about the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the authority figure, we might say. Now, this story is also in Mark and Luke. And in Mark, uh, he, he contains a lot more peripheral information, like, like these men that, that carry their paralyzed friend. They actually bust through a crowd, go up on top of a roof, dig through it, and lower him down. It's the same story. But Matthew, Matthew's is very concise because he's focused on the authority of Jesus Christ. He's not concerned with some of the peripherals that the other gospel writers were, and he's intentional this way. And up until this point, Jesus hasn't really, there hasn't been, really been any objection to Jesus. I mean, obviously, Satan and him didn't really hit it off in the wilderness. Um, last week, we didn't actually look at the story, but when Jesus uh, delivers the, the demonic man, he delivers the demons and sends them into the pigs. They go into the lake and they die. Well, as the, their owners saw their profits diminish, they didn't really want anything to do with him. They wanted him out of there. But besides that, it's been pretty good. 
And, and I, I, as I think about this, I realize that, that most people are good with Jesus as long as he's not really uh, messing with their lives or interfering with their plans. I mean, we love teacher Jesus. You hear this all the time. Oh, he's such a great moral teacher. Sometimes I'm like, but did you hear what he said? Oh, he's, he's I, I love merciful Jesus, healing Jesus, including the outsiders Jesus. Right, please get rid of evil in my life, Jesus. We love that, Jesus. And come on, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. We love him, okay? We, we love that Jesus. But when it comes to authority, Jesus, that causes some of us to pump the brakes a little bit, right? It doesn't conjure up terms of, uh, you know, these, these feelings of endearment. Why is this? Why do so many of us have kind of a stiff arm reaction to authority, well, let's step back. Let's think about it. Most of us are Americans that are watching this today. And, and at, the, at the core of our, our nation, there's this slogan, don't tread on me, right? We we're founded on that. Don't tell me what to do. Okay, I'm going to build my house, have my land, and that's fine. But, but don't come here and tell me what to do. It's, it's in our country's DNA. And, and most of us live in the Portland metro, or at least the counties around that. And, and in Portland, the, the term authority has kind of a negative connotation, especially recently, if you haven't noticed. Matter of fact, some of our leaders are actively legislating to remove some of the authority in our city. So culturally, we, we have a little aversion to it. And there's people in authority that we don't think should be there. So all of those things come into play. But it is a bit subjective. Some of us don't really have that problem with authority. And I, and I think, I think the, the reason, the difference in our reactions is based on the way we have, our stories have interacted with different authorities in our lives. All of those authorities, all of the interactions shape the way we view authority from our parents when we were kids to teachers, to employers, to um, governing officials and even to God. And so we come to a story like this, and we need to be really careful because we all have different ideas of what authority looks like, and, and most of our experience with authority is, is somebody from a superior position putting demands on us with the threat of either punishment or consequences if we don't submit or if we don't comply. That's how most of us ex experience authority in this world. And we know that authority is abused. We know people that should never hold positions of authority that hold them. Some of them might be your bosses. Some of them actually might be you. There are people that shouldn't have it because they exploit it for their own power or gain. And so when we read that Jesus has authority, oftentimes we can bring our own ideas into the story and have these weird ideas about who God is. But, but as Christians, we can't do that. When we approach the scriptures, when we approach these kind of stories, we have to allow them to define things for us. I was talking to a friend of mine in the kitchen at my house uh, a couple weeks ago. We do a house church on Sunday nights there. And I was telling him, and I've told you guys this, that I grew up assuming that God was just angry with me, that, like, that, that he was just mad and just waiting for me to step out of line, kind of like that cosmic speed trap, you know, just couldn't wait to bust me. And what changed all that was, was God's word. When I started reading God's word for myself and began to allow my ideas about who God was to be challenged by the scriptures themselves, I saw God in all his authority coming to use it in ways that I could never imagine. So let's look at some of those ways today 
as we consider this story. How does Jesus use his authority? What's the kind of the scope of it? What's the nature of his authority? Who doesn't like it or is repelled by it? And, and who is healed or liberated by his authority? Let's, let's consider together this story. So Jesus comes back home. He's, he's there, and these men bring, Mark tells us it's, it's their friend. He brings their friend who's paralyzed to Jesus. And, and look at what Jesus notices right off the bat. Jesus saw their faith. And this is a little weird for us because a lot of times we think about faith, we think about just the way somebody believes but, but Jesus isn't seeing that. And when Jesus is seeing inside someone's kind of heart, which he does with the Bible teachers, the, the authors tell us that. Jesus hasn't talked to these guys. He sees their faith. He sees what they're doing. It's a little detail in the story, but I think it's, I think it's profound because, because what they believe is that they have this problem with their friend, maybe with themselves, but certainly with their friend. And there's nothing they can do about it. And their faith is demonstrated by the fact that if we can just get him in front of Jesus, maybe Jesus can do something for him. And so Jesus saw their faith. And so it's not just a belief, it's, it's a belief with action. And so if you want to know what you believe biblically, don't, don't look at necessarily just what you say, because we say things. And sometimes we don't say things, depending on if we're intimidated or trying to impress somebody. And don't just look at the way you feel because, you know, we go, our, our emotions, our cognitive state goes up and down, right? If your blood sugar is low, you're weird, okay? Or if you haven't had your coffee, you know, we just, we don't. So biblical faith is always fleshed out by its action. You want to know what you believe, truly believe, look at what you do. And these guys believed that Jesus was their only hope in this desperate situation. They had to get their friend in front of him. And something else that's interesting in this passage, look at, look, look at whose faith he's pointing out. Who's he talking about? He sees their faith. So it's not just this guy. Maybe the guy doesn't have a lot of faith, the paralyzed guy. I mean, we know he's scared. We'll talk about that in a second. But certainly the friends. Jesus sees the friends' faith. And, and why is this significant? Well, I think this is a community of faith. The, this, this reminds us that following Jesus and living out the Christian life is virtually impossible to do by yourself. I mean, we need each other. This guy needs his community of faith to get him in front of Jesus because there's no way he could get in front of Jesus himself. And that should, that should remind us that, that even those of us who, who believe and who have embraced and have been embraced by Jesus, man, there's times when our faith is just weak. And, and, and it, it's not enough to motivate me to get in front of Jesus and I need my friends to come around me and say, man, I, I see that, come on, let's go. And, and help get me in front of Jesus where I can receive his word and, and hear his, his, his voice in my life. And I need to be that kind of friend to my friends. That, that's what a community of faith is all about. Do you have friends like that in your life? And are you that kind of friend? This is why here at Grace, we're all about small groups and, and we're, we're ratcheting it up this next year. We want everybody to be in a small group community. It's so important. We need people around us because we get kicked around in this world. Our faith gets rocked. We need each other. And so Jesus sees their faith 
And his response is surprising. Look what he says. He looks at the man. He sees their faith and looks at the man. And he says, take heart, son. Now, stop right there. This isn't brave heart kind of man up. You know, this isn't what he's saying. This is literally, don't be afraid, little boy. That's the word. It's technon. It's little boy. And he, I mean, this man's grown. But look at the way Jesus uses his authority to go right into his life. He sees him. And, and notice, Jesus is going to see individuals all through the gospel. He doesn't put some grid and, and formula over everybody. He sees people right where they're at. He sees you right where you're at. And he sees the fear in this man. And he says, like, like a father would say to his son who's scared, he says, man, don't be afraid, son. Don't be afraid. It's very tender. And then he makes this astonishing claim. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're this man, your friends brought you there, you're all paralyzed, you're crippled up. When you hear these words, I don't know how those fell on his ears. Maybe he thought, okay, this is getting a little awkward. Bible teachers are right there. This isn't how sins are forgiven. What is this guy doing? I don't know what was going through his mind. And, and why did Jesus focus on the sin first? Is Jesus saying that his paralysis is a direct result of his sin? Now, last week we looked at, we looked at sin and sickness, and Jay did a great job talking about that, so I'm not going to get you know, deep back into that. Go listen to that sermon if, if you're, you, you, you want to know more about that. But, but we do know that that was a common idea of the day, that people that were sick, and Ill, they must have done something. Even the disciples, remember in John 9, when, when they see that blind man, they look at Jesus and say, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned? Whose fault is it that he's blind? Was it his fault? Or is it some kind of generational curse? Is it, did his parents do something wrong? This was a pervasive way that they thought. And, and what does Jesus do? He corrects this teaching. He said, no, no, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened, this particular thing happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we're talking about it today. So we, we don't know. I mean, sin is complicated. Sometimes in the scriptures, you do see a direct result of somebody uh, rejecting, rebelling against God, and they get some kind of skin disease. We see that in the Old Testament. But we also see Job, a righteous man who, who there, is, there is no reason that he gets the sin and sick, or, or the, the sickness. That he, well, there's a reason, but it's not because of his own sin. So it's complicated. Maybe the spiritual is more important here. You know, we, we tend to think, you know, Jesus goes for the sin. We tend to think the body and soul and, and my, they're all kind of um, not intrinsically connected, but that's not the biblical view, which is why you see in the Psalms, psalmists lamenting over unconfessed sin. And what kinds of things are they saying? They're, they're talking about their anxiety, a physical, their bones uh, rotting away within them. They're talking about their depression, and we know that, that our mental acuity, things that go on in our, in our mind can actually have physical consequences in our bodies. And if you lived in a culture that thought like this, and every time they looked at you, they assumed that about you, after a while, you start really internalizing that right? You, you, you start believing that. And how does that affect your view of yourself? And more than that, how does that affect your view of God? And he's angry with me. 
He's punishing me. Maybe he's even happy about it. You see how that can happen. We have some people right now in our church, maybe watching this, that are sick and you're suffering and we're praying for you. And, and sometimes ideas like this can creep into your mind. Maybe I deserve this. Jesus comes to clear that kind of thinking up. If Jesus simply healed this man's body without dealing with, with, the, with, with the deep underlying assumptions about God and his standing with God, I think Jesus thinks he wouldn't have actually fully healed this man. And so Jesus tenderly and compassionately with his authority He looks at this man, he speaks into this scene, he speaks into this man's greatest need. And he says, in essence, son, God's not mad at you. He's not punishing you. The very fact that I'm here, that I have come not to condemn the world, but to save the world, should, should, should pronounce that. He's not angry with you. And your sins all of them are removed today. They're gone. They're taken away. And you have no reason to be afraid anymore. It might be easier to live with a crippled and broken body than a condemned and despairing soul. And so Jesus uses his authority to remove this man's sin, making him right with God and removing all fear and condemnation. Jesus uses his authority differently than we see it used so many times in our world. It's not from a superior. He comes right in and he goes and he meets our greatest need. He has the authority to do that. And he forgives his sin. And therein, my friends, lies the rub. At at this, some of the teachers of the law said, this fellow is blaspheming. The teachers of the law think the first five books of the Bible, right? Genesis through Deuteronomy and all the rabbinical teaching around that 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 shows and teaches people how to live faithfully before God and, and righteously with one another. When they hear him say this, man, they are appalled. Who does this guy think he is forgiving sin? Everybody knows that only God forgives sin. That's what the blasphemy charge is all about. And if you lived at this time, God had already made it clear how sins were to be forgiven. Yes, yes, you prayed. There was a very personal element, but, but confession of sin was very public in that day. God had laid out a specific program, if you will, or a way to have your sins atoned for. Here's how it went. Let's say you took something from your neighbor that didn't belong to you. So you rolled your neighbor for a couple barley sheaves or, you know, you, you, you grabbed one of a, a lamb you found out in the field. You knew it wasn't yours, but you took it anyway. And um, wh- whatever, you cheated somebody. So after a while, this guilt starts, you know, pressing in on you like our consciences do. And, and so you confess that to the Lord. But then what you did is you headed eventually down to the temple in Jerusalem. And, and you either took an animal with you or you took money to buy an animal when you got there. And what you do is you'd go get in this line. I call it the sin line, okay? You get in the line to go meet the priest. And there's others in front of you and there's gonna be others in back of you. This is an ongoing thing. We are sinful people. And by the time you get to the priest, he's covered in blood more like a butcher. And, and he takes your animal, whatever it is, 
and you confess your sin to him. And he takes that animal and he, and he slits its throat and he pours the blood out into a bowl. Now, this is very, very intense. This animal is dying because of what you did. It's a very visceral uh, situation here. You blew it. You've contributed again to why our world is such a screwed up and messed up place. And now you're, 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 you're looking at, you're, you're being forced to, to consider and understand the weight of the decisions that you have made that have contributed to the way our world is. And you're, you're forced to realize what an offense it is before a holy God. Because you're not only before the priest, God's presence is literally dwelling in the temple right behind the priest. And so this animal's burned. Atonement is made. Your sins are covered. And the priest says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you were living at that time, this was amazing. Okay, this wasn't, we look at this, we think, eesh, man, that's pretty intense. This, this, this wasn't some kind of oppressive legalistic, legalistic thing. It was freedom. It was the mercy of God in your life. That, that, that he would meet you despite our own selfishness and our own sin, that God has chosen to dwell among his people and provide a clear way for our sins, our, our, our guilt to be covered and dealt with. Man, you would leave that place singing, praising God, singing psalms, that, that he had made a way for you to have right relationship restored between you and God. And so what Jesus is doing here is astonishing. Okay, this man that Jesus has pronounced forgiveness to, he hasn't gone to the temple. He hasn't asked anybody for forgiveness. He hasn't confessed to a priest. Nothing has died to atone for his sin. Jesus asserts his authority. He asserts it right, right between God and this man. And he's offering God's forgiveness as if it's his to offer. It's scandalous. And the priests are appalled. And Jesus raises the sin question because ultimately that is the reason he came. It was to deal with it, not to ignore it, not to treat it light, light, lightly. I mean, t today, th think about how we deal, deal with sin. It's very different than it is today, right? We, we either ignore it, we say it doesn't exist. We blame it on someone else, maybe our environment, even our genes. <laughs> you know, we, we always, we like to blame things, blame others. Or we, we pretend that sin doesn't matter. But listen, Jesus makes it clear, it does matter. And the length he's going to go to actually do the forgiving, it matters. It's the source of all of our problems and Jesus takes it seriously. And he keeps going here. He looks at them and he says, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Now think about that. Which is easier? I mean, I think it's easier to say, get up or, or say your sins are forgiven, right? I mean, how do you fact check that? No, I mean, you, you, there's no way to really know. Is this, is, are his sins really forgiven? It's, it's much easier to say something like that. And I think Jesus knows that his words and authority are, are what these guys are taking issue with. So he moves to the, to the perceived greater thing to prove the perceived lesser thing. 
You, you, basically, you don't believe my words? Let, let, me, let me demonstrate what my authority actually does. It's nothing less than new creation. And so he heals this guy's body. But I want you to know, Jesus says, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth, or has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. He uses the term son of man. It's very interesting and it's not an accident. Son of man is a term that, that we see in the book of Daniel in chapter seven. It's, it's basically describing this, this figure who comes to the father and he is anointed with all authority, all power. He, he, is, he is the messianic figure who will come and establish a kingdom that will never end. And all nations, tribes, everybody will worship him. Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm here, which is, again, got these guys triggered. I mean, I could, they're just like, he won't shut up. Why does he keep saying stuff like this? I mean, they're, you could just, which is easier? All right, let me just knock this one out. Um, get up and go home. Boom, healed. Guy walks off. If I can do the harder thing, then I can certainly do the perceived easier thing. I mean, we, we get it, right? That's what's happening here. The man getting up is the testimony that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. It's the ultimate object lesson. Well, there's this crowd. Okay, the crowd's around. And the crowd responds initially with, it says, awe, that word can be translated to fear. Yeah, I mean, you remember when Peter first saw the power and authority of Jesus, what did he say? Get away from me. Man, I'm a sinful man. My sin and God, they, they just don't mix. Oh, how, how excited was Peter to find out that Jesus had come to take his sin. How amazing that truth is. When, when last chapter, when they're on the boat, Jesus calms the storm. What do they say? Who is this man that even the winds and waves obey? And so initially they respond with, with awe and fear. I think there's something for us to understand here. If he can do this, then he might actually be who he said he is all along. This must be what they're thinking. And, and let, let me just say one thing about, about this whole temple system, everything going on. Jesus isn't saying that the temple is bad. He's not saying the priesthood is bad. He's not saying that, that, that the law and the prophets are bad. He's saying that they were pointing to a fulfillment. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment. I didn't come to abolish all that. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. The temple was the meeting place between heaven and earth, between God and his holiness and man and his sin, where God would, would work, work a way to atone for and get rid of sin so that we could be connected again to God. And so Jesus is saying, I, basically, I am the new temple. I am the priest. I am God who offers forgiveness to people. And it initially caused, caused, causes people to freak out. What's he doing? But for some... Their fear gives way to worship. And God did not keep his power in heaven, but somehow has allowed it to flow through this man. 
God has allowed his authority to come down and be channeled through this man. And God himself truly is among them. And some of them see it. Some of them realize it. It's an amazing story. And it's amazing, it's amazing truth. So some final thoughts for us as we consider this story together. Considering Jesus' authority. How does, how does Jesus use his authority? He doesn't maintain this superior distance from us like so many in authority do. He doesn't hold over these, this punishment like he's almost excited about. That's not how he uses his authority. And if you're following along on the notes, um, here you go. Jesus uses his authority to meet, or excuse me, he uses his authority to meet broken, sinful people right where they're at. That's how he uses it. And do you know Jesus like that? Or do you know Jesus like I used to know him? Angry, vindictive, ready to pounce. What is the nature of Jesus' Jesus' authority? Well, Jesus has the authority to both name and deal with the deepest brokenness and sin of the heart and mind. It's total. There's nothing that Jesus' authority will be hindered by. And, and who's, who's threatened by it? Because we see in our story there are people that are threatened by it. Well, people more interested in maintaining religious tradition and their own so-called authority that encounter Jesus in a transforma- transformational relationship, those are the ones that are threatened by his authority. And I'm telling you that, that Jesus will continue to give these guys a chance to respond. But as we're going to see, they will continue to resist the Holy Spirit, and, and they will ultimately call for his very life and reject the very life, mercy, and grace that Jesus has come to give them. He wants to forgive their sins. Some people won't have it. And it's a tragedy. But who's, who's liberated by the authority of Jesus? Who, who experiences freedom? It's people with faith. Just a little bit of faith. Just the idea that, that God, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. I can't fix it. I can't get rid of my own guilt and shame. And I need to get in front of Jesus no matter what it takes. And I, I bring nothing but my shame and guilt. That's faith. Those are the people that experience freedom and forgiveness as they submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. I wonder how, how you respond to the authority of Jesus. I mean, what does that look like for you? Do you allow your negative experiences with, with the authority that you've had in your life to cast a shadow over all other authority, including God himself? Or maybe today, will you see God in a, will you see Jesus in a whole new way? One who uses his authority to enter into the deepest hurts and, and, and most devastated places of our life and, and chooses to heal those if we'll just come to him with faith. He uses his authority very differently than we see in our world. And Jesus has come to forgive our sins, all of them. 
And he's come to, to offer us new life and offers us to be part of his new creation. And how will you respond to the authority of Jesus? All the Lord's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. When, when Joseph was talking to the angel at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, the angel tells him this. He says, you are to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. That's what he intends to do. And as I thought about that question, which is harder? I think in light of everything that Jesus is going to have to go through to give his life as a ransom for many, it was probably harder to say your sins are forgiven that day. But that's what he offers us, forgiveness of sin. Just come to him. Nothing to bring. You bring your, your, your guilt, your shame, and you fall at the feet of Jesus, and he will forgive your sin, he will heal you, and he will begin a new creation in you. Won't you come to him? Let me pray. Father, what an amazing truth this is. Some of us need to be reminded of that today. Some of us need to, need to come to Jesus for the first time today. Pray that you would give them courage to do that. Some of us need to be connected to a community today, Father. And some of us need to be that community to others. Whatever it is you're speaking to us, Father, open our ears. Allow us to hear well today and leave our places wherever we're at and serve those around us and make a difference in our world. We love you and we thank you for everything you are to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.